February 7, 2021. 100 Day Challenge. Pastor Ken Nash. The Wilderness and the Promised Land. Well, welcome to week six of our journey of our 100-day study together. We are uh, reading this week through Joshua, the really the end of Deuteronomy, into Joshua, which is the taking of the promised land. So what's the big deal about the promised land? Well, I'm going to show you a map up here. I don't know if it'll make much sense to you, but picture population density. If you've ever been in a city where, I mean, there's just lots and lots of people. At that time in history, just flashback 3,500 years, the, the globe was much different than it is today. And the major population density was in this map area that you see on the screen. What you have is the little green spot I'm going to show you is the promised land. And you say, well, that's quite small. It's actually really maybe the size of New Jersey. I mean, there's not much to it. It's really a small piece of territory. And you're like, that's the promised land? What? If you look, though, it, to, the, to the east is the all desert. So that I'll put that in yellow. That is hard to travel across. Picture this as we go through it. Uh, to the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. In that day and age, we didn't have ships where you could really get across the ocean very easily. To the north, you have Europe, and then far east, you have into China. And into the south, which both of those are in red, in the north and the south, you have Africa, if you want to get down into the global south. In that day and age, if you wanted to access where the people were, if you were in Africa and you wanted to do some trade to the north, what would you do? Would you go through the desert? No way. Would you go on the sea? No way. You had to go through a small piece of property called the promised land. You see, God was establishing his people in the very center of the known world. If you want to change the world, property matters. And God knew that. And so God, hundreds of years earlier, made a promise to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob and to the bloodline of Abraham. God said, I'm going to change the world because we learned in week one and what we've been learning through our study is that people are the problem. God wants an intimate relationship with us, but we keep getting in the way. And so God said, I'm going to set a small group of people apart and I'm going to show them how to have a relationship in holiness, like we talked about last week, with me, says God. I'm going to train these people and then I'm going to put them in the very center of the known world. And that's exactly what he did. And so this week you'll read about taking of the promised land. God promised, I will put you in this piece of property. And from there you will change the world. And we, those of you online, those of us in person, we are the residual of that promise coming to fruition. It's awesome. And you get to read about it, we will get to read about it this week. Uh, to um, help us navigate a little bit, I need to tell more of the story that leads up to taking of the promised land. With a transition with Pastor Paul coming on in the week that we did a vote as a church was the week we would have talked about what we call the wander years. 
For 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert because God was showing them, well, you're not mature enough to handle the promised land yet. Let me show you what I mean. So picture this. They had just seen the miracle of miracles where Pharaoh, in some ways, as we, they understood it at that time, he was the king of kings. I mean, he was really the God of the people. And Pharaoh fell to the hands of Moses through the power of God. They saw this miracle. They saw the Red Sea split. They saw the 10 plagues that came against Pharaoh. They saw a kingdom fall. And yet, here they are just weeks later. Look at what they say. Verse, we're, I'm going to have to take us back to Exodus 16. Then we'll jump ahead at the end to our reading. But I want to give us the wander years in moving into the promised land to make sure that we're all on the same page as we tell the backstory of Jesus through this Old Testament. Exodus 16, verse 2. Listen to this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. (laughs) They've just seen all these miracles. They just got set free from slavery. And here they are already grumbling and complaining. What is the deal? Well, honestly, slavery does tremendous damage to a people. Imagine our country... We had, from really 1776 to 1865, we had slavery in this country. Just less than 100 years. And yet we're still to this day seeing the residual effects in our society from the act of slavery. Imagine 400 years. I mean, it's caused great havoc in our country, and we had it for 100 Imagine 400 years to think that the people are just going to be transformed. Like, okay, we've seen the Red Sea split. We've seen Pharaoh fall. Okay, we're going to behave now. No, at least in Egypt, they had some stability. At least in Egypt, they could predict what was going to happen. Now they're in the wilderness in what should have been a 10-day journey by foot from Egypt all the way up to the promised land has to take 40 years. Watch the complaining even go further, the very next verse. The Israelites said to Moses and to Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, that would be better. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Moses, what are you doing? I want to show you three things that God is actually doing in these wander years to prepare them for the promised land and in our lives to prepare us for our promised land in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. I believe what God is doing in these 40 years that I'm going to talk about here in these first couple of points is that God is reorienting his people from being enslaved to saved. Now that takes time, doesn't it? In one fell swoop, they saw Egypt fall. 
but it takes 40 years for that enslavement mentality to get out of their spirit so they can truly walk as a people of freedom. I don't think we're much different, let's be honest. We really aren't. In one fell swoop, we move from death to life in Jesus Christ. For those of you who have taken that courageous step of faith to say, I surrender my life to Jesus and you're following Jesus with your life, that's an incredible moment in your history. You're forever changed. Kingdoms fall around you as your life is resurrected in Christ. That's a beautiful moment. But it's a lifetime process if you've discovered what it means to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard us talk around here a lot that the whole idea of following Jesus is about he wants to save not just you for heaven. He wants to save your whole soul, your whole being. He wants to save the way you think and the way that you feel, your emotions, your, the way you handle money, the way you handle people, the way that you handle all aspects of life. And to truly be set free in all aspects of your life, that can take a lifetime. And certainly that happened with the Israelites. So with that, I want to take you into the three things that we see happen through the process of God moving them from being enslaved to saved. Uh, I'm going to jump over to the, to the very next verse, verse 4. Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, keep in mind, they've just complained. They're going from enslavement to being saved. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 11 now. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. So God does hear us when we cry out. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So God hears our cries, which is great. God is very patient with us as children. That as we're infants in Christ, and then as we grow further and further, he sees back in this day, as they were following the Lord, they, they were very immature. And so we see God here moving them from enslavement, from being enslaved, or enslaved to being saved through daily dependence on God. So one of the first things we see God do is he says, I hear your cries, I see your immaturity, but God doesn't get upset or disappointed. He sees the childlike behavior in us. And then he says, now will you just trust me on a daily basis? So God gives them, because the promised land is the land flowing, if you've ever studied this before, with what? With milk and honey, which is abundance. You have milk and honey and you can do anything with that. I mean, you have all the sweets that you can eat and you've got incredible amounts of being able to have nourishment and food. And in other words, that's showing that there's great fertility in this land. They didn't yet know all about it with the Jordan River and you've got the Sea of Galilee and you've got all of this luscious, fertile soil to be able to grow your crops. 
But before God sees us being able to move into a place of abundance, he wants us to walk day by day trusting him. So he gives them manna from heaven, which is the equivalent of having oatmeal with nothing on it. Day (laughs) by day by day. I challenge you. I bet the 100-day challenge reading through the scriptures are easier than eating oatmeal plain every day by day by day. And that's what they went through. But God was showing them how to rely fully on him. And that's good. That's frankly what we are to be called to do, to step out and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you again today with my life. That's, in fact, I could give many illustrations, but around the issue of giving, I would say that every week when we give our tithes and offerings to God, that's our way of saying, God, I'm fully depending on you. I'm trusting you. And I know I've heard people complain about it and they say, geez, God is asking for 10% as a baseline. I mean, that's Old Testament concepts. And so we try to push that away. Actually, the New Testament concept of giving is give it all. The generosity of God, if we could flip our mind, instead of saying, God, you're taking the first 10% of our giving and our offerings, like we talked about last week, our first fruits to God, instead of looking at it that way, why not instead turn it around and say, wait a minute, God owns it all. Like it, it drives me, any of you, if you have kids, do you ever get mad at them when you bring the groceries home and then they get mad at you for eating their Doritos that you paid for? And I'm like, who ate my Doritos? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I paid for them. They're mine. Give them back to me. Spit them out right now. I mean, they're mine. I own them. That's how it is with God. He owns everything. That's a gift. So we should turn it around and say, wait a minute. Can you believe the generosity of God that he lets us have 90% to work with? That's a generous God as I've turned that around. But I know how the human mind works. I mean, I've done it where if you add up, our family's been a 10% tither. We've um, given generously for years and for 25 years now. And you do the math in that and you're like, that adds up. That's like hundreds, that adds up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, think what we could do with that money. But wait a minute, I've already surrendered my life to my God the Lord is so generous with me. You can't outgive God. And it's been amazing how in the flow, when you jump into the flow of trust within daily dependence on God, it's amazing the abundance that comes back in ways that you could never expect. I'm convinced as Jesus tells us years later, he says, if I can trust you with a little bit, I'm going to trust you with a whole lot more. And that's what daily dependence is, of just saying, I'm going to generously continue to trust you, God. I'm going to give to you, and I'm, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of the, the, just the needs of life. And I've never, we just sang the song, I've never seen him fail. Never. And he, and he never will. Many people have asked, uh, as, as we're going through a time of uh, transition, they're saying, Ken, thank you for the work that you did here. How, how, can, how can we bless you? And my answer is really simple. Just keep blessing the church. Keep giving to Watermark. Nothing would break my heart more because we're in the middle of a perfect storm, if you will, the trifecta. We're in the middle of a pandemic and it's been hard because we, you know, as we did this um, back in the fall, we did a heart check campaign and the generosity of our hearts is 
forever amazing to me. I'm going to tell your story far and wide for the rest of my life at the generosity of our mission push in this church. I've loved it. So we raised, we made a, a commitment for a one, $1 million as a church in the midst of a pandemic. But here's what, I, what I've noticed, just the pattern as just looking from an observation, observation standpoint. We really love to give to missions, but man, we don't like to give money to the, keep the lights on. <laughs> operations is so boring to give to. But operations is what, what keeps us moving forward. And what's tricky is in the midst of a pandemic, we've for over a year now, well, coming up on a year, we haven't been passing the plates. And I had no idea how much that adds up to. Just the, the nickels and dimes. And we, we have a lot of non-tithers, which let's all move into tithing as a baseline. We have a lot of tippers. And I had no idea how much our tipping you know, here, I'm going to give God 20 bucks for the, I mean, you get enough of us doing 20 bucks. That's added up to tens of thousands, really, as we've added up the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that money goes directly to keep the lights on. And so um, a blessing that would be for me is if you continue to be generous, not only to missions, but be generous to Watermark Wesleyan. Because as I've looked at our staff and I look at our teams, the operations is what keeps our teams being able to move forward full steam. And we're in the middle of a trifecta. We've got the pandemic, which has been a slow fade. You know, you just see it over time. It's really, every church is struggling with it. All nonprofits are struggling. We're, we're, we're not unique in that. Uh, but I've also, I mean, we're in the middle of a transition and transitions are hard. And while we all love Pastor Paul and there's a great joy and man, and there's an energy for him. This is exciting, but transitions are scary. And, and um, then you add that we've behind the scenes, we're still trying to make sure that we are functioning and have transitioned well into online and pandemic way of thinking. And so we've gone to a whole nother financial system. And so a lot, we have to get all of our people that we're giving online weekly to, to transition to another system. And we've still had a lot of people that haven't stepped over to that. And so we're just kind of in the middle of a perfect storm. And so I just say that to you that a, a generosity spirit of missions, when you give to the church, it's also missions. And so let's keep that spirit going. I, I'm, nothing, nothing would bring me greater joy than to be able to look back years from now and hear, my goodness, Watermark is, is continuing to flourish in to, in for generations to come. This is one of the most phenomenal ministries in the country and in some ways the world. And we, I, I'm just honored that I've been able to be a part of it in this way. And uh, boy, again, I'll come back to that. I've got a couple more sermons to preach that will get emotional and I'm hating to write them and talk about them, but it's about daily dependence on God and trusting him in, in a wonderful and, and beautiful way. I want to go to the second point, which the first one, he's, God is moving his children from, de, from just enslavement to being saved through daily dependence on God. And then secondly, we see this through these verses. I'm going to jump ahead to a few more verses in verse 23. God said then to them, this is what the Lord command, commands. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning. And as Moses command, commanded, it did not stink or get maggots, just on the Sabbath day. 
He said, now you can eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather this manna, oatmeal, whatever, you know. But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Because secondly, God is moving them not only from to daily dependence on him before he gives them the promised land of abundance. Secondly, God is moving them from enslavement to being saved through rest. And you would think, that's weird. They're in the desert. There's not a lot of fun and things to do. <laughs> you can't go out on the strip and have a good night. I mean, it's just kind of there. Aren't they just kind of sitting there? If you've ever been to the Middle East, it is anything but rest. It is exhausting. The, the, the scorching sun and the, the push of the wind and the sand in your face, the sand is everywhere. I mean, for 40 years, it's exhausting. And yet God said, I want you to every once a week take Sabbath. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are truly still honoring the Sabbath? Like genuinely taking time where you do no six days work and you just rest. If, if you're one who has not been taking Sabbath, hear what I'm about to say. Sabbath is actually, and, and we know Jesus teaches that Sabbath is made for us as a gift. It's not a, a law that should be like punishment. I know a lot of us think it's like punishment because we like the work that we do and we like to be busybodies. But Sabbath is an opportunity to again have dependence on God. But here's another way to think of it. Egypt had a philosophy of enslavement and ownership of people. And Egypt had really three objectives to be get more money, to get more power, and to really continue to get what they want when they want it. In other words, they wanted to live the ways of the world. I'm in control. I'm my own boss. I am the king. I am the queen. I, we can do and I can do what I want when I want. That is an Egypt mentality. That is a worldly mentality. When you Sabbath, you are rebelling against that. Think about that. You are saying, I am not going to be enslaved by the drive to be the center of it all. When you Sabbath rest, when you take a day away from your busyness of the work responsibilities that you have, it's a chance for you to take the back seat and say, God, can you move before me and prepare the way for the week ahead? I've talked about this before. The creation story is this way. It was evening and morning the first day. In other words, your day starts with sleep. Why? So God can prepare the way for you. God's not your co-pilot. God is the pilot. When, you're, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are saying, I no longer am my own. That's why he says you have to die to yourself. And that's what God was teaching us years before the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. He was trying to prepare his people to say, I want you to find that in your rest, you are trusting that I'm going to go before you and I will be your God and you will be my people. Because everywhere else on planet Earth, seven days a week, we do what we want, when we want. It's about power, control, more stuff, more money, all about me. And Sabbath is rebellion against that. It's saying, I get to be recharged 
in the strength of the Lord, which by the way is far greater. And scientists have actually studied the power of rest and they actually find that when you rest, it's actually like sharpening your ax and you can actually get more done in six days than in seven. Huh, who would have thought God was right? God's ways are always right. And so he's equipping them and changing them and helping them to realize, continue to rebel against the system. Which leads then to, uh, to our um, third and, and core point, leading us into our reading for this week. So for 40 years, they're wandering and they're learning how to grow up to get away from an enslavement mentality into a saved lifestyle, to walk in freedom. Doesn't that sound good? To now the third thing. So their daily dependence on God, resting in him. And then number three, he's moving them from being enslaved to saved through God's promises. This is the claiming of the promises of God. What I love about them finally and what we'll read this week about taking of the promised land is that they are claiming the truth of God. They're letting God and telling God and saying, God, please go before us. And so uh, we're going to read this week one of my favorite chapters in the entire Old Testament from Deuteronomy 30. I want to read just an excerpt, uh, excerpt of it and whet your appetite for what's to come. But Moses is getting near the end of his life and he's been the one that took him out of Egypt and moves these people into a place of holiness as he goes through 40 years of cleansing and all the grumbling and all the pain. But now they're maturing as, as the grumblers have died off. That's a whole, you know, it's a cleansing. It's, it's complicated for sure. But watch this. As he stands on Mount Nebo, he says this, as the children now rise up into a leadership. Verse 19 of Deuteronomy 30. This day, Moses given his final words, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, which, by the way, this word is about survival. Choose survival so that you and your children may live, which is the word abundant. You may move from death to life. So that you and your children may truly live abundantly and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice, daily dependent on him, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hundreds of years earlier, God had made a promise. As Pastor Steve had talked about, that the Old Testament is on this one family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the bloodline continues through, which leads to Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world years later. But imagine this, for hundreds of years, they were waiting for the promises to come true. And they had moments of doubt. They had moments of great fear. And they had this time of enslavement. And I mean, you can imagine how year after year they would say, is God faithful? Is God faithful? And I know how we feel in this world. I mean, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all these emotions, as we look at our country and you, you just say, is there any hope? God, are you still strong? Are you going to keep your promises? Here's what's great about doing these 100-day challenges. I mean, there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. And if you joined us last year, 
You can still go online and do the 100-day challenge of the New Testament like we did last year. If you were to do that and then do this year's reading um, for these 100 days, you will have read most of the 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. And all of them have come to pass except the final and ultimate return of Jesus Christ. And we're doing our best to make it happen sooner, aren't we? (laughs) It's incredible. The promises come true. And time and time again, we see God just show up. And, and then, then Moses comes to the end of his life and he gives this wonderful word to the, to the people. And then there's a transition of leadership, which the, the irony of timing. As, as I have the privilege of passing the mantle over to, to Pastor Paul, now Joshua takes over. And this week we get to read the next generation of leadership in Joshua. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1 in Joshua, listen to this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, or N-U-N, not nobody, Moses' aid. Joshua said this, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I, says the Lord, was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never, again, promises of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people and inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors, the promises that I gave to them. So the same God who led Moses and gave the miracles of of transforming a people is the same God who now carries Joshua and promises him, I will be with you. I will go before you. I will give you the courage. And this week you're going to read about some of these promises coming to pass where he sees mountains fall, walls come crumbling down around Jericho, where he sees this incredible, all of these giants cower and tremble and and ultimately get destroyed and pushed out by these small people group that were just enslaved by seeing the miracles of the sun standing still. And I know you can look at these miracles and say, man, it's so weird. And I just think, would God still do that stuff? I'm telling you, if you have eyes to see, you can see miracles every single day. I am watching God do an incredible work I have just, just from, from an organizational standpoint, as I've watched our teams, I couldn't imagine going through this pandemic if we didn't have the current team that we have in place. This team, I got to tell you, I have never enjoyed a group of people more than the leadership team that we have around this church right now. And for such a time as this, God moved everything and, and established the right people with the, and I'm telling you, the right chemistry, I've never seen a group of people that just have such a love for each other, lack of gossip and lack of agenda and nothing but sacrificial, I want to serve and make this place a better place kind of spirit. I mean, it's just, it's one, I'm watching these and you could say, oh yeah, well that, that's just people moving and all. No, it, it's the, I'm telling you, it's the hand of God in every step we have been taken care of. And just as God has done this in the history, and when you read the story of Joshua this week, I want you to just be thinking, God, are you still able to move mountains today? 
I mean, we just sang about it. I'll see you do it again, Lord. I see you make a way when there is no way. And I believe you will do it again. Come on, God, I'm asking you. Will you move us out of the Egypt mentality and into a place of great promise? Because that's what I'm seeing happen. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, when you claim the promises of God, I mean, think about it. Jesus says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Never. Just like I said to Joshua, I won't leave you. These ragtag band of people that were just messed up in the, in the wilderness and enslaved for all of these years took on the, and pushed out these giants from the land. You, that, how does that happen? But by the promises of God coming to pass. And that same God says to us through Jesus Christ, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what I love about what Jesus says is he says, I have done a good work in you. And as I think about the next, I have a couple more sermons that I get to preach in the last one on the 28th of February. And here's what I've, I've, this month has been emotionally a wreck for me because I'm just, I have all these, uh, a spirit of such gratitude, a gratitude for you and an incredible gratitude for God. Because what I've seen is that God has said, I have started a good work. I mean, for 65 years in this church, God has started a good work. And here's the promise of God. And I will bring it to completion, to the fulfillment, through the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in our land. And we get to experience that. And I saw just a mini uh, calendar miracle happen as the vote happened with the same day that we voted on Pastor Paul here as a church was the same day that I actually got officially um, offered and then um, presented before the church in Michigan. I'm actually, I got a lead pastor job now officially and I'm like shocked at the timing, only God's timing. We're gonna be at the church where our, our literal blood family is and our friends where we came from at Cornerstone in Michigan. And we get, I get to lead pastor there while we get to... You get to do work here and we get to co-laborers in Christ with just a small body of water called Lake Erie separating us and we get to be in ministry in that way and so I'm so grateful for that and that that's God's mini miracle of timing we didn't plan it that way the timing was exceptional in how God pulled this together and so I, I'm a man filled with with great gratitude for the promises of God are faithful and when we take a step of faith, not knowing what the next step is going to happen, God is faithful to bring things into pass. And I'm, and I'm, I'm telling you, for generations to come, we're going to continue to see Western New York, Western Michigan, and the whole world through our ministries transform through the blood and the, the power of Jesus Christ as we continue to claim the promises of God through the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. See, God is so faithful from beginning to end. He will bring us to a place of completion in him. And to that, and that is which I stand upon today. And I hope you do as well. So as we do our reading this week, look for the courageous moments for your own story as you enter into the story and say, I wanna live by the promises of God and walk by faith in every step that I take, daily depending on him, resting in him, and trusting his promises are true every single day. And we are going to continue to see this world transformed for the glory of Jesus Christ. So let me pray over us right now in the, the gift of this uh, truth. 
Lord, I am uh, just privileged to be able to speak on this stage. Every time I, I, I shudder with, uh, with fear that I get to speak um, through, uh, through your Holy Spirit's touch in this place. And, and I um, am just humbled by the courage that you give all of us to journey into this world that is broken and to offer them the hope of the, of the risen Savior. I thank you, Lord, that you chose just a small group of people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their family and throughout the history of of the world. You brought through that bloodline the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can claim the promises because you have stepped out of the grave and you have given us life. There is no longer slavery of our own lives. We are are set free because of you. And so I just want to lift before you the incredible gift that we have to say thank you and to walk in your name and in your promises and in your truth. And so it's in Jesus' name that I thank you and claim your promises today. In Jesus' name, amen.